listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 52 of Footprints on Our Hearts and welcome to this special one year anniversary episode of the show. Now I was looking back and the first episode actually went live on January the 31st last year but uh, when I was thinking about doing a one year anniversary episode I wanted to wait until episode 52 so there was an episode for every week of the year so there you go. This episode has two parts. In part one, I talk a bit about what I've learned about baby loss from the people I've interviewed over the past year. And in part two, I'm delighted to be joined by Carl and Lucy, two of my guests from the earlier shows in the podcast. And we each reflect on the past year, what's changed in our lives and how the events of 2020 affected our grief. When I launched the podcast, I had no idea that within a few months we'd be in the midst of a global pandemic and able to leave our homes and that many of the services we take for granted, including maternity and fertility services, would be severely restricted. Losing a baby is traumatic at any time, but COVID-19 has added an extra dimension to the grief and loss. It's not just that you can't access many of the bereavement support services or even get a hug from family and friends. It's that everyone else is dealing with their own challenges and can't be there for you in the same way as they normally would. And I hope that the podcast has in some small way been of help to those of you who have lost babies over the last year. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to my patrons. And I know I say this a lot, but you guys really are fantastic and I massively appreciate your support month after month. And when I was wobbling about whether to continue with the podcast six months ago, it was your support that made me realise how important it was for me to continue sharing these stories. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I will be back next week with a regular interview episode. But for now, please sit back and relax or continue your walk or cooking or whatever you do while listening to the podcast and enjoy this special year anniversary episode. Part one what I've learned about baby loss. I thought I had a pretty good awareness of baby loss before we lost our daughter Skye in 2019, but I've since realised just how little I really knew. Baby loss was a series of statistics for me back then. You know, one in four pregnancies end in loss. Most miscarriages happen before 12 weeks. That, that was what I understood, my understanding of baby loss was. And I didn't fully grasp that behind every number was a story, a baby, parents who had to say goodbye to their child, grief, loneliness and isolation. I think I was quite detached from that world because I didn't know many people who'd experienced it directly. And I do still think that until you have experienced it, there is always going to be that slight detachment in terms of your understanding. As a fiction author, I create stories from my imagination, but we are all the protagonist in our own lives. And often the stories of our lives can be stranger, more interesting and more emotional than the stories we make up in our heads. One of the hardest things about losing a baby or a child is that they don't get the opportunity to live their life. Their story is one that we write for them year after year as we try to imagine how they would have grown and aged. We try to picture what they would look like at key milestones and yet in our mind they're still a tiny baby, a scan photo or just a positive pregnancy test. It's a dichotomy that I'm still struggling to get my head around as the months and years pass. I started this podcast to give parents a platform to share their babies' stories. 
stories not just of grief and loss, but of hope, legacy and love. And I'm so grateful to all my guests for talking about their children so openly with me and sharing their experiences to help make other bereaved parents feel less alone. So here are seven things that I've learned from their stories. Number one, there are many more causes and types of baby loss than I had realised. And that may sound obvious, but I think unless until you look into it um, or have a personal interest or have experienced it, you don't actually realise the, the broad spectrum of loss. I've spoken to parents who have experienced miscarriages, stillbirths, ectopic pregnancies, termination for medical reasons, neonatal loss, chemical pregnancies and infant loss. And that's before you get into all the different medical reasons and terminology that lie behind those stories and those uh, losses. And it's really opened my eyes to everything that can go wrong in pregnancy and after a birth. And that's not always a good thing because there have been times, particularly when I was pregnant with my rainbow baby Rowan, when I struggled to keep that into perspective. When you're faced every day or every time you go onto Instagram with grief and loss, you know, when I'm talking to people every week or every couple of weeks about the reasons why their baby died, it's really hard to, or I found it really hard and I had to remind myself that actually most pregnancies do end in a healthy baby. And I'm sure for many of you that phrase is an extra kick in the teeth, particularly if you're struggling right now, because you are quite understandably wondering why, if most pregnancies have a happy ending, yours haven't. And I'm sorry that I don't have an answer for you, but I do think that it's something that if you are pregnant after a loss, you do have to keep telling yourself that. And literally some days I was telling myself, like a mantra, you know, different pregnancy, different outcome, it's going to be okay. And I was telling myself that almost to convince myself to believe it. Um, and I think, you know, I don't think any of us really believe it until, you know, until that living, healthy, happy child is is there in your arms. But um, pregnancy after loss is stressful enough as it is. And I think you have to do everything you can to protect yourself and remind yourself that just because you have lost once or twice or three times does not mean it's necessarily going to happen again. Baby loss was for years something of a taboo subject. And while it's being talked about more openly now, there are still topics within that wider baby loss umbrella that are considered by some people to be more taboo. Termination for medical reasons is one of those, a topic which is infused with much more than the usual bereaved parent, guilt, whatever the circumstances. And I think it's really important to talk about these topics openly. And again, I'm so grateful to those parents who have chosen to share their stories with me and share their experiences with the, the wider baby loss community through whatever means, um, because it's only really by by talking about these things that we can make them less of a taboo, that we can raise awareness of what many parents go through each year and make society as a whole more aware of these issues. Number two, I've realised that infertility and loss go hand in hand. And again, this probably sounds really obvious. <laughs> um, and I had this really vague notion that, you know, if you went through IVF or fertility treatment, you might be more likely to miscarry. But again, I didn't really understand the stories and the personal experience behind that. And when I first started this podcast, I thought it would just be about baby loss because there are a lot of podcasts out there for, which are specifically about infertility. But I've come to realise that for many people, the two are really are inextricably linked. Experiencing a secondary infertility after losing a child is just another kick from the universe when you're broken and down. Going through round and round of fertility treatment with all the financial and emotional costs that involves only to get pregnant with your precious baby and then lose them adds different layers to the grief and trauma of losing a child. Now, I have been fortunate enough not to experience infertility directly, and that means I'm especially grateful to 
all those people in the baby loss community and to my guests on this podcast for helping open my eyes to the challenges faced by those going through fertility treatment and the feelings of grief and isolation that infertility can cause. And I know that like baby loss, it's not something that I can truly understand um, without experiencing it. But I think it's important that even if we don't experience these things, we try to understand and learn more about them because at the end of the day, that's what we want to do um, or we want other people to do for us in terms of understanding our experiences and our perspective on our babies' lives and death. Number three. Now, there is no comparing one person's loss to another person's loss and that's not what I want to do. But that said, I have come across some people who have suffered multiple losses and have had to go through the heartache and pain of saying goodbye to their babies time after time. Losing Sky was by far the most traumatic and terrible experience of my life. But to go through that pain again and again, to pick yourself up and carry on, takes more strength, guts and determination than I think most people are capable of. And I just wanted to acknowledge that particularly for anyone listening who is in that situation and struggling to see a light at the end of the journey. And I know, you know, people say, oh, you're really strong for dealing with this. And it's like, well, I didn't have a choice. You know, you deal with what you deal with. But I do do think that there are warriors out there among you. And for anyone going through this, um, you know, please don't underestimate the impact of all those losses of the trauma and the grief on your day-to-day life, on how you feel about things. And yeah, anyway, I I raise my metaphorical glass to you for having the strength and the resilience and the courage to keep trying and to keep going on. Number four, whatever the negative things said about social media, it's also created some wonderful opportunities. And I believe that the baby loss community online is one of those. When you're in a small minority of people who have had a terrible thing happen to you, it can be really hard to find other people locally who have been through the same thing to talk to. And, you know, the the smaller the niche you're in, the harder that is. I have been mostly involved in the baby loss community on Instagram, though I know it does exist on other social media platforms as well. And I found it to be a supportive, wonderful community where you can almost always find someone who's been through something similar to you. But I do think it's important to mention that there are some people who still struggle to find a safe and supportive environment with others like them. The baby loss community, in my experience at least, is still largely dominated by white mothers And while everyone's story is different, there are other voices that we need to listen to to really understand the impact of baby loss on people of different backgrounds, faiths, genders and ethnicities. And I'd really encourage you to seek out social media accounts or blogs um, or even news articles written by fathers, by black and brown parents and LGBTQ plus parents to understand their perspective, some of the additional challenges they face and yeah and really their unique perspective on on baby loss and finally for some people who've been through multiple losses and had to come to terms with the fact that they won't be able to have their own child the baby loss community with its talk of rainbow pregnancies and babies can still be very difficult to navigate so I really do want to celebrate I think the baby loss community is such a fantastic thing and you know even 10 years ago certainly well certainly 20 years ago we didn't you know the internet wasn't really really commonplace and and as widely used as it is now social media didn't really exist um I think you know people who experienced baby loss in that time you know really didn't have those support networks which we do have available to us now and I'm so so grateful that we have that support network today number five Um, This is going to sound like a bit of a cliche, (laughs) but the fifth thing I've realised is that grief really is a roller coaster. And I know I say this a lot, but that's because it's true. It can really be hard, I think, to distinguish grief from other emotions and things going on in our lives. 
I think for many of us, the lockdowns and associated struggles of the past year have exacerbated or triggered our grief in ways we didn't realise. I think for me, sometimes if I'm having a bad day emotionally, I have to try and take a step back and think, am I just angry about X, Y or Z or whatever it was that that riled me? Or am I actually sad? And is that sadness coming out in anger? Because that is often the way that my kind of grief manifests. So I kind of hold it in and, you know, try not to cry about it because there's always other things to do and too much to be done. And then I do find myself getting grumpy and getting angry instead. Number six, one thing I realised from talking to parents who lost their children many years ago is that if we want to keep our babies' names alive, then we have to talk about them because no one cares about them as much as we do. And unfortunately, from our perspective, other people's lives do move on and those memories fade, particularly if they never met your child and didn't make those memories in the first place. And I think one thing that I found really hard about the lockdown this year was having my rainbow baby Rowan and not him not being able to meet family and friends because to me when you meet someone they become more real and one thing that I felt after Sky died was because no one else met her she wasn't as real to other people as she was to us and I think that's true you know and I talk about even, you know, even our parents and, you know, mine and my husband's siblings didn't actually meet her. They came to the funeral, but, you know, that's that's a different thing. And I found that really hard because, um, because for me, until Rowan has met those people, he is not real to them. And if we lost him, he would not be real in the same sense as, you know, a baby normally would be. I think that's, I don't know, I'm not sure I've explained myself very well there. Um, It's slightly confused thoughts, um, but hopefully that maybe makes sense to some of you. And that's not really a criticism on those people. It's just a fact of life. And it's one of the additional challenges of grieving a dead baby. And if you do have friends and family members who do remember your baby and still talk about them years after the fact without, you know, you bringing it up or prompting them, then yeah, treasure those people because they they are wonderful, wonderful friends, wonderful family. And finally, number seven, I've realised that love really does last forever. It doesn't matter if your baby died last month or 30 years ago you will always grieve their death because you will never stop loving them and there is nothing wrong with that and never let anyone tell you that there is. In the second part of this episode, I wanted to talk about life after loss. This was something I really struggled with for the first six months after losing Skye It felt like nothing really changed in that first six months. And by that, I mean that my grief felt as raw as ever. The rest of my life seemed to still be on hold. And I was struggling to know how to remember her and honour her memory while rebuilding my life into something I wanted to live. I think that's perhaps quite a normal response to grief. And that period of stagnation may last a few weeks, a few months, or even a few years, depending on your personality, your situation, and what else you've got going on in your life. But when I look back over the past year, I feel like a huge amount has changed, both in my life, but also in my grief journey. And I credit my guests on this podcast for helping me better understand my grief and what I want my life after loss to look like. I asked a couple of my past guests to share their reflections on how the past year has been for them. First up, we have Carl, followed by Lucy, And finally, I share my thoughts on some of the joys and challenges the last year has brought for me. Carl was my guest in episode 20 of the podcast. He is a husband, obstetrician and a father to three children plus six babies that he didn't get to bring home. 
Carl talks about baby loss and endurance sports on his Instagram account at The Ambitious Endurance, where he is open about how it took him many years and losses to really engage with the emotional side of baby loss and grieve the babies he and his wife had lost. When I interviewed Carl, he had two living children and I was aware from my research prior to interviewing him of the five miscarriages he and his wife had suffered. During the interview, he revealed that they had experienced a sixth miscarriage more recently and after the interview, he privately confided that his wife, Emma, was currently pregnant. And Carl and Emma welcomed their third child into the world last summer and when I caught up with Carl, the first thing I asked him was about his experience of that pregnancy given their previous losses and the global pandemic we were in. Twenty twenty was a year of difficulty for everyone. Um, for us, it was a really um, weird experience because, actually, the anxiety of pregnancy after loss kind of meant that I didn't really pay that much attention to the pandemic itself. Um, and actually, the birth of my son was like one of those strange moments where I didn't really know that I needed that moment to kind of bring some closure. Um, so he was the first baby that we had that didn't require resuscitation at birth. And so we kind of had that immediate sort of skin to skin experience. Um, he was the first really where I was able to just put my brain in neutral from like my job perspective and not look at the baby heart monitor and just enjoy being a dad. Um, he's also like, even after he's come home and stuff, he's just a really, really chilled out personality and in some ways, like, he's kind of what this house hasn't really had before. So, yeah, he's just a massive blessing. And um, it's been really good. The baby you've been waiting for. <laughs> Without knowing it. I, I still love the other two. But, of yeah. Course, of course, yeah. Um, you were also training for a big event last time we spoke, which unfortunately, due to COVID, had to be postponed to this year. And you've spoken before about how exercise and training helps you process grief. Did you find that the lockdowns we've had and spending more time training at home rather than outside affected your grief and emotions, either sort of during that pregnancy period or after the birth of your son? Um, so I think at the point where we were heavily pregnant, the lockdowns were starting to lift and you could do kind of solo things um, or, you know, with a friend. So I actually have another friend who's going to join me on this new charity thing that we kind of were both in a similar position, kind of dads who were the other end of the lockdown. And so we just kind of took our bikes and went off, you know, around the northeast and, you know, the sort of coastal and castles north and a few other places kind of out west from where I am and um yeah so that bit of the lockdown was not so bad we unfortunately Scotland lagged in their um change of rules and stuff and also I hadn't really had any opportunity to do any swimming so that was kind of the other problem for what I had planned um and then I guess since my son's been born, it's been, I've been more indoors than even that period before he came. So now I've, I don't think I've actually done an outdoor ride in about four months, um, which is quite, quite sad for me. But at the same time, it's also been really good to kind of double down on my internal why, like, why am I putting myself through this? Why am I pursuing these goals? And I think, when you're in surroundings that aren't particularly stimulating, they help in a roundabout way with you kind of exploring your own thoughts and why you do what you do, why you're motivated in the way that you are. And I guess having had the experience of his birth and everything else, it's kind of, it's helped me to realize actually I do still want to do these things, even though I'm a dad to three, even though I'm busy with work, um, because actually you know, talking about pregnancy loss still really means a lot to me. 
Mm, that's fantastic. And I think because I, I do remember you saying that that kind of search for your why is one of the reasons you train and it's one of the reasons you've done these great big endurance events in the past. Have you have you not become addicted to Zwift then or any of these other kind of cycling uh, apps? So, so again, um, it's all a bit of a technology bug. Um, but yeah, there is there is a sort of online um there's an app in my phone that I use for training and it kind of gives me my workouts for the week. And usually they're just at the point where I might, you know, be not too well by the end of them. And then it kind of backs off a bit. And basically I just chase this blue line. Um, So it's not even as exciting as Zwift. I don't actually see anyone else. I don't even see really the output of what I'm doing other than some numbers changing. Um, but again, for me, I guess it's useful because it means that I've got the brain space for other things. So if I want to do an audio book or sometimes um, I'm trying to become more diligent about like journaling as well. And so sometimes I'll just use that moment in the day to reflect. And I find that when your body is working hard, it leaves a little bit more sort of bandwidth to not really be distracted by other things around you and just focus on you know, that internal reflection and what do I really think of myself in the moment? You know, why am I here again? Um, What can I expect from this body? How am I going to, you know, do the next workout when I can barely survive this one and that sort of thing. So it all becomes a lot of sort of internal talk, but I try to make that a positive environment rather than an environment that's kind of passive and, and just happens. And I guess there maybe has been a bit of a positive side to the event being postponed as it's now due to be bigger and better than you'd originally planned. Would you like to tell people what you're planning and how they can follow your progress? Absolutely. So the initial plan was that I was going to attempt to do a semi-solo completion of the West Highland Way in a slightly novel way. Um, in that I won't really be sticking to the original West Highland way, but I will be pretty much in sight of it the whole way. So the intention is to um, run from North Glasgow to um, Loch Lomond um, over sunrise to then do a quick change and uh, reappear as a swimmer and swim from the east to the west shore of Loch Lomond, going from Millerocky Bay over to Luss, At last, I will do another quick change and become a cyclist, cycle 83 miles to um, Fort William and end the official route, but by the road, not by the trail on the East Coast. And then the following day, the intention is to go up and over Nevis. Now, I was intending to do this on my own, um, like I did the five for five on my own. And then with the redirections and everything else. And also thanks to you, Alison, for signing your husband up without his uh, prior knowledge. Um, (laughs) He's always up for these kind of things. (laughs) Definitely. Um, So we now have a group of 10 of us that are going to conquer this challenge in a variety of formats. So there'll be three or four of us that do the run. Um, The swim is going to be a combo of swimming and kayaking, mostly to keep me alive, because it turns out that I probably need lots of chaperoning and escorting so that I don't either swim off track and be eaten by Nessie or um, just generally exhaust myself having run too hard in the in the first bit. Um, So then the ride, I think, will probably be the second most heavily attended. So I think there's sort of six or seven of us that are going to club together on the bike um, and get over um, Glen of Orkey, Bridge of Orkey and up onto Rannoch Moor, which if you know the lie lie of the land, I'm saying lots and lots of climbing um, in code. Um, And then then the hike, I think we're hoping to be the full complement of 10 if we can, or, you know, however many people join in, um, to actually go up and down and really to kind of do some a few sort of commemorative things and a few sort of memory making things on on the top and then come back have a burger and then um either disperse into scotland or go home and sleep lots and lots fantastic and i think you've got an instagram account haven't you set up for the event where people can find you yeah we do so we are on 
and it's probably the most complicated sounding Instagram handle, but um, it is run, swim, bike, hike, with a full stop in between all of them. There won't be another account with run, swim, bike, hike, because no one else is as crazy as we are to even attempt something like this. Fantastic. And um, I will include that link in the show notes. And I wish you all the best and keeping everything crossed that, you know, restrictions relax and it can go ahead this year as planned. Yeah, so we're we're hoping to do this um, 24th and 25th of July. We'll still be pretty close to the longest day in the year. And if last year is anything to go by, hopefully by that point, we'll be at least we'll at least be able to meet as groups of six outside and by which point we should be good to go brilliant thanks so much for coming on carl thanks for having me again Lucy is the founder of the Rainbow Running Club and is one of the kindest and most lovely people I have come across in the baby loss community. She spoke with me in episode 14 about her experiences of miscarriage and infertility and the impact of this on her life and friendships. Lucy has done so much for the baby loss and infertility communities over the past year, organising midweek mindfulness sessions, book clubs and bake-offs. But like many of us, she's also been battling with her own feelings of grief and loss. So hi, Lucy, and welcome back to the podcast. When I spoke to you last year, I think we were perhaps a month into the first lockdown and we spoke about taking the Rainbow Running Club online. Since then, you've done so many things to help people through this incredibly difficult year that we've all had. Could you tell us a bit about your experience of the pandemic and lockdown, how it perhaps affected your grief over your losses and infertility, and if throwing yourself into helping other people helped with that? Well, thank you so much for asking me to come back. Um, Yes, where to start? I did throw myself in quite literally and I was thinking about this earlier and I was thinking at first it was like, oh, what am I going to do with all this spare time? And then I thought I need to be busy. I need to be organising. I need to be doing things. So that's what I did. And I set up so, so many online events, which was incredible. And I loved doing them all. And it really helped me because it gave my days a structure and a purpose because at the start of lockdown, I just, I'd been going at 100 miles an hour and then all of a sudden everything stopped and I was like, what am I going to do? We had to, my husband is vulnerable, so we were shielding, we weren't going anywhere, we weren't leaving the house. So having all of the online events gave me a purpose and it gave me a focus And it gave me a reason every day to keep planning and organising things. Um, But I think that there's only so long that you can keep going (laughs) at 100 miles an hour before your body says, whoa, you've got to stop, you need to stop. Um, And it got to September last year and we had our first anniversary of the Rainbow Running Club and I didn't just want to have one celebration. I organised a whole month of celebrations. And I think that that was incredible. And it was so exciting. And it added some fun and some joy back into life. But it completely and utterly exhausted me. Um, So then it got to the point in November where I wasn't very well. And I kind of thought, I think I I need to try and find a balance. Um, and yeah balance became a bit of a key word for me during lockdown and I thought that it meant lots of different things Um, and I thought I had to find it to be happy Um, but I think it's just trying to find a happy medium of having the events and the things going on but also prioritising looking after myself as well, um, which I don't think sometimes we're very good at. And I was very good at telling everybody else that they needed to look after themselves, um, but I wasn't very good at taking my own advice. So there came a point where I had to start 
finding a way to look after myself yeah and I think um that resonates a lot with me because I think I'm very similar in terms of this is what you should do but this is what I'm actually doing and I think it's you know there's a maybe a bit of a personality thing there or something if you're that type of person and you you keep going and you keep going and you keep pushing and you keep pushing until literally you know you kind of hit a wall and and something stops you and I think you know for people who um are listening who maybe didn't um didn't listen to your interview the first time around you do also have a daughter at home as well so it's, it's not yeah. like you have nothing to fill your days yeah. with <laughs> and that's where the balancing started to get really difficult because in the start when I started the rainbow running club I was like right I will go on Instagram in the morning do a post and then I'm not looking at Instagram until the evening when she goes to bed I'm not doing any emails until she goes to bed it's not going to encroach on my day with her But obviously, the busier you get, the more and more it started to creep in. And without being able to have any outside help, (laughs) and it was just me having to do all the childcare whilst obviously my husband's trying to work at home, and it it just became too much of a juggle. And she's just turned three, and she's very aware that life isn't normal as well. And it's starting to impact on her as well in that she's very upset that she doesn't have anyone to play with and that she can't see her family. And she knows that there's journeys and she just wants them to go away like we all do. And it just really made me think all I ever wanted was to be a mum. And I need to be in this moment with her right now because I'm going to regret it if I don't. And I've got a year and a half before she starts school. and then. I'm going to have every day free to myself. So I need to find a balance and I need to go back to giving her my all because, you know, I was making her sit there and help me to pack parcels (laughs) and trying to make it fun. But it was, yeah, it was all getting a bit much. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, and again, that, that resonates with me because, you know, since my son was born, I'm, I'm in this kind of juggling thing as well. And he's like, obviously my world at the moment, but equally I have the podcast. I have some bits of work because I'm self-employed trying to to fit those in around the kind of edges of the day. And, you know, you do feel like that every time you pick up your phone, you're like, I shouldn't be on the phone. I should be with him or, you know, with your daughter doing things. And that, oh, that whole world word of balance is so... I think it's just such a difficult thing to try and find. And I think also, as you said, you know, you try and what I find is I I kind of balance him and I try and balance sort of the work and the podcast, but then there's no, there's no time left for me and trying to kind of carve out that time is perhaps the hardest thing of all. So how have you, how have you created that time for yourself and how have you, what, what tips might you have for people, I guess, um, on how you've managed to create balance, which includes you in that equation? I think the first thing is it's okay to ask for help. You don't have to do everything yourself, um, which is, doesn't come very easily, especially when, you know, the rainbow running club and the yoga club is in effect my baby it's my all like I've put everything into it for the last year and a half um, and I didn't find it very easy to say I needed help but I had people around me saying if you need anything just let me know just let me know and I'd always be like oh yeah that's lovely thanks never thinking that I'd actually take them up on it but it got to the point where I knew that I couldn't keep going at the pace that I was so I have reached out and um my friend Kira who does I've been doing the yoga with for the past year she's taken on more of the yoga side of things for me and the day-to-day running which has been a huge weight lifted off my shoulders We, we had a conversation and I said you know do we stop do we continue what do we do um and we decided that we want to continue but when we want to do it together so just having her help and just like you know we have a 10 minute telephone conversation and then she can help me and she can do things and it's just amazing and you know I really trust her with it because that's the thing as well you know it's finding the person that you can trust to take something on and 
deliver it how you want it to be. So in Kira, I found that. So that's been a huge weight. And then I've had another friend, Katie, who's helped me with the running club and she's helping with all the social media for that. And I tried to separate it a bit more. So it might seem, I think I thought I was failing because I needed help and I couldn't do it all anymore. But Kira said to me, you're not failing. If you were a studio and you had you know you'd have different teachers and you'd have people working for you so you can't think of it you're failing you're not it's grown too big and you need help and just her helping to reframe that made a huge difference to me um and it just made me see that it's the only way really that I can continue so don't be frightened to ask for help um and another thing is I like to be organized so I like to plan out the week and I'm trying to be really strict with myself and be like right well I did emails last night so tonight I'm not doing any and I'm not going to look at them because they can wait until tomorrow I think it's always feeling like you have to be on and you have to reply to everyone and you have to get back to everyone but everybody's in the same boat at the moment and we're all trying to juggle an awful lot so people understand and you're not letting anybody down by making them wait a few more hours for reply to an email so I'm trying to be really strict and stick to it (laughs) yeah that's good and I I have to say that I'm I'm guilty and particularly if I'm feeling kind of a bit emotionally overwhelmed then messages are the things that kind of in emails are the things I don't I sort of do which unfortunately doesn't mean that people sometimes have to wait a while to get to get a reply from me but you know I think that that is my one thing that I struggle with when I'm kind of feeling a little bit overwhelmed by things I'd agree I felt the same no I felt like I couldn't compose replies and messages because I didn't feel in the right headspace to do it myself and yeah I think lockdown and has provided a lot of time on your own in your own head and thinking about things so I think from a grief point of view it's probably intensified that at points because I think it's a grief of what you're missing and mm. and I think having one child and the grief of her missing out on having a brother or sister to play with has been like a big challenge as well and especially because she keeps saying I've got no one to play with I'm all on my own even when I've spent all day playing with her she'll still turn around and say but I've got no one to play with and that has been something that's really been a challenge to deal with as well I think during lockdown yeah it must be heart-wrenching um but I wanted to finish off so your words you have a word for the year which I like and I also have a word for the year and your word for 2021 is joy why did you choose that word and how are you trying to incorporate joy into your life I chose it because towards the end of last year I didn't feel very joyful and everything felt quite heavy and hard and I thought I need to change my mindset because there is a lot of joy we just sometimes need a reminder to how to find it so you know we can't do extravagantly exciting things at the moment but that doesn't mean that there aren't joyful moments to be found within our day and I think when we look for those it completely changes how we feel so it just felt like a really important word to me because I think as well when you're going through infertility and loss joy can feel impossible and you can feel guilty for feeling joyful and it can be very far from how you feel but it's the small things it's noticing the sunrise outside or having a nice piece of cake just something each day to just something lovely just for you to bring a little bit of happiness into the monotony at the moment as well of it feeling like groundhog day every day and I think we I think that's something we can all take to heart and all look for those moments of happiness thank you so much Lucy you are such uh, a huge inspiration to me and I think to many people in the baby loss and infertility community particularly given all you do so thank you very much and I think you can continue to find joy in each day as we get through the year thank you so much Alison
last year for me has been dominated by my pregnancy and the arrival of my gorgeous rainbow baby Rowan. Pregnancy after loss is never easy and I talked a bit about my experience in episodes 32 and 33b but that said I don't underestimate the impact of being able to bring home a living baby in terms of my healing and where my grief is at today. I feel so fortunate and lucky to have him. He is an amazing little boy and his smile just brightens my day every single day and I know that I would be in a much darker place right now if we had struggled to get pregnant or had suffered further losses so I feel very fortunate to be in the position I'm in. A year ago this weekend I ran a half marathon raising money for Tommy's in Sky's memory. It feels a lifetime ago now what with everything that's gone on in between. I was about seven weeks pregnant at the time and was in complete denial that we might actually get to bring the baby home. I was convinced certainly for, I guess, at least the first kind of three months of my pregnancy that I was going to miscarry at some point. I literally, I got into the habit of carrying around sanitary towels with me just in case I started to bleed and my thoughts when I was walking or running or training for this half marathon were generally occupied with what I would do in various situations if that happened. Um, but I'm not going to go into my <laughs> into my mental health struggles right now. A few weeks after that, um, lockdown hit. And actually, in some ways, that made pregnancy after loss a little bit easier you know, I was able to kind of cocoon in my own little cave and it was very easy to hide away from the world and also to hide my pregnancy from other people, particularly when they can only see your head and shoulders on a Zoom call. Um, It was something that, although I shared it with quite a lot of people early on, I was then quite reluctant to share more openly until much later on in my pregnancy. We also passed last May what I think many people would agree is one of the most significant grief milestones and that was Skye's first birthday. Like many people I found the lead up to it harder than the day itself which actually turned out to be quite a nice day for us and for me I experienced probably the hardest day of my grief since those early dark days on the sky on the day that we think the sky died which was also the day that our niece was born and her birth and the relief i felt at her self arrival unleashed a whole hurricane of emotions that for some hours put me right back into that deep dark well but i did find that what many of my guests had told me about the grief coming in waves and the fact that those waves passed faster as time progresses was true Um, It did hit me really hard, but I did manage to get through it. As I discussed in my chat with Lucy, I've continued to find it hard to find balance in my life and particularly balancing looking after my health, my mental health included, with work and what I feel are my obligations to other people. And I think, to be honest, this is something I've spent my whole life struggling with. (laughs) So it's hardly a surprise that it's, um, you know, I haven't found the solution yet. But it really was thrown into sharper relief after the birth of my son when I realised that however much I might want to juggle everything it simply wasn't humanly possible and I'm sure I'm not the first mother to feel like that and I won't be the last. I haven't really talked about my experience of parenting after loss on the podcast and that's really because there have been a lot of emotions and challenges that I'm still in the process of working through. There have been some amazing times over the past five months and you know, as I said, every day that little boy smiles up at me, he just melts my heart. But like everyone who's given birth in the past year or so, my maternity leave hasn't really panned out as planned. And I found that the isolation of lockdown has sent me even further into my little hermit cave of uh, being an introvert. (laughs) It's also really scary how quickly time has passed and how fast babies grow. And I've really struggled with wanting Rowan to grow and develop, but also cling to my now not so tiny little baby. 
I also found it hard that with Rowan's arrival, Sky's fallen out of people's memories. Everything is about Rowan. And while I completely understand why that's the case, I also find that quite hard to deal with sometimes. I've been thinking a bit about what the next year will hold. In a few months, it will be Sky's second birthday. I can't believe it's coming round already. I am hopeful that by then we might be out of lockdown, fingers crossed, and hopefully able to celebrate her birthday as we did last year with a picnic in one of our favourite spots. I'm also hoping we might at some point make it up to Scotland, to the place where we scattered her ashes. I feel like I have I have really missed Scotland this year. It has been probably the longest time I haven't been up for, well, a long, a, a number of years. Um, so yeah, I'm really hoping we can we can make it up there soon. But for the most part, I'm actually choosing not to look too far ahead at the moment. There are quite a lot of unknowns in terms of how this year is going to pan out for me that threaten to overwhelm me if I think about them too much. So I've given myself another month or two to just hermit in my cave, (laughs) focus on the small joys in life and make the most of my time with Rowan. I know it can be hard to hear about pregnancies and babies if you've recently suffered a loss or if you're struggling to get pregnant. But I hope that my story, our story and the stories of other parents such as Carl who've welcomed babies this year has also given some of you hope of bringing home a child whatever route to parenthood you take. As for my other guests on the podcast, some are preparing to welcome rainbow babies into the world and others have suffered more loss and continue to face fertility challenges. Some are set to become parents through a different route such as adoption and another guest has set up a charity in her daughter's name. Some people have become more active in the baby loss community and others have taken a step back to focus on healing. The stories of our lives are as unique to us as our journeys and explorations of grief. For some people, the past year has brought joy, contentment or hope. But for others, it has been dominated by grief and loss. And this is a circle of life in which there is a season and a time for everything. A time to build up, a time to break down, a time to dance and a time to mourn, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Sometimes we are in summer. We feel alive and ready to take on the world, to lead a revolution for change and tackle those big projects and dreams. But other times we need to winter, to cocoon ourselves away from the world and focus on healing. There is a time in our lives for both summer and winter. Whatever season you are in now, I hope you can give yourself the time you need to make the most of it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Skies Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.